Welcome to another episode of Candid Crypto. You're tuned in with Liam and Michael. Today's episode is a little different. We've been listening to people's feedback and we're still trying to get a feel for how these episodes are going to flow and what the content's going to be. This episode is certainly more freeform. Before we jump in though, I want to briefly explain Ethereum to everybody. Ethereum is a programmable blockchain. In application, what that means is you can do a lot more stuff with your Ethereum than you can with Bitcoin. With Ethereum, I can lend it programmatically to people who are wishing to borrow it from me and earn interest on that loan. I can also purchase things like NFTs and have those tied to my unique address on the Ethereum network. A programmable blockchain also makes creating your own cryptocurrency pretty simple, especially considering how things were prior to Ethereum. So if you're the type of person who would go out and create your own cryptocurrency, you would have a much easier time convincing people to use your crypto because it already exists on the Ethereum blockchain and all the Ethereum tools will be compatible with it. By market cap, Ethereum sits firmly at number two, with number one being Bitcoin. Ethereum is one of the most traded and used cryptocurrencies that exist, largely in part due to the DeFi or decentralized finance phenomenon. The DeFi ecosystem is largely propped up by Ethereum. There are certainly more topics and concepts that we could go over with Ethereum. On our website, candidcryptopodcast.com, we're going to link a few of those resources for reading 101s about how Ethereum works, what its underlying mechanisms are, and what sort of value proposition this new technology put forth. Also, I'm aware of the fact our website looks a little bad on mobile. <laughs> That is being fixed this weekend, so stay tuned for that. Here is a segue into our main discussion. And honestly, I that is when I was doing research on Ethereum. That's essentially the verdict. It's, you know, smart contracts are amazing, but it's only as good as the coder or the programmer building it. I mean, if it, you get too complicated and you mess up the smart contract, there can be flaws when it comes times to actually executing all the constraints. Totally, totally. Uh, to, you know, paint a little bit of a historical picture, when Ethereum launched in 2015, the grand vision for Ethereum was to build up not only this ecosystem of smart contracts, but to have a entity called the DAO, the Decentralized Autonomous Organization, exist. The point of the DAO was to crowdsource investment funds in the form of Ethereum, or Ether, I should say. And the community would vote on proposals for where to invest that Ether. So what ended up happening is that the DAO was hacked. Damn. And when the, <laughs> <laughs> and when the DAO was hacked... How much money? That's the question I want to know. North of like 70 mil off of a 150 million plus investment pretty bad uh to have half of your funds diverted to some random individual so that was in my mind one of the biggest points of blockchain history ever 
the blockchain was supposed to be immutable. It was supposed to be public. And no one was supposed to be able to tamper with it. But when the DAO hack happened, there was a huge portion of the Ethereum community that said, this sucks. And we want to undo this hack. Yeah, I the can way see they... why. <laughs> <laughs> and the way they undid the hack was by performing what is called a hard fork. A hard fork for a cryptocurrency means that the underlying protocol or parameters are changed in a way that the networks are now incompatible. So Ethereum basically became a new network without the hack. They rolled back the history on the hack and patched the holes in the code they had. Uh, uh, However... Well, is that why now we have Ethereum Classic and now Ethereum, which is the the one that is actually growing in 2021? Yeah. Immensely? Yeah. So... So in essence, yes, a small part of the community, the Ethereum community said, the hack happened fair and square. You lost that money because your code was bad. You should pay the price for that. But the majority of people, obviously stakeholders in this equation, said, eh, we can undo history and we can make things right again. And that ended up paying off because, yeah, Ethereum takes enormous precedent over Ethereum Classic. Yeah, and I mean... I I, I'm okay with the change because the community wanted it and they led the charge to do this hard fork and to split them. Blockchain's all about consensus. And the consensus that the Ethereum community reached was we should we should undo this hack. And I think that was a wise decision on their part. Um, so kind of getting to the core question, what is Ethereum? Well, did we kind of talk about yeah, that Yeah, it's a programmable or? blockchain. Where Bitcoin is Perfect. just transferring money. Ethereum, although it's cryptocurrency, actually named Ether, can be used to transfer value. I mean, it comes down to the programmable aspects. It's like the Legos yes. of blockchain. <laughs> totally. Unlike Bitcoin, whose creator remains anonymous, Ethereum has a very clear leader, Vitalik Buterin, a Russian-Canadian programmer. Who, when he first and created it, I think it's crazy, but when he first created it, he was 19. Yeah, when I was 19, I was, you know, uh, <laughs> stealing plates from my dining hall at college. Yikes. And Vitalik, Vitalik uh, went ahead and created a programmable blockchain. So, obviously, he is leaps and bounds beyond uh you know comprehension in some regards because he, he he went out and did it he lives and breathes blockchain i love it and looks like an alien um <laughs> <laughs> so does elon musk that i don't but... <laughs> know Vitalik really looks like an alien but i mean i would love to meet the dude i mean what a brilliant totally guy. totally and vitalik has plenty of explanations about ethereum on YouTube that you can look up if you type in Vitalik Buterin YouTube. I mean, Vitalik Buterin Ethereum, you'll find his stuff. Um, the Lex Friedman podcast with him is very good. Anyway, the Ethereum, uh, the Ethereum project had five founders, which if you listen to any Y Combinator kind of material, they will always say five founders is too many. But um, regardless, Ethereum went in with five founders and they kept expanding sort of the founding team and they formed e ETH Suisse, ETH Suisse. 
and they based it out of Switzerland. Um, at the time of us recording, May 6th, 21, uh, Ether just hit an all-time high of $3,530. Uh, could be more now. Vitalik has become the world's youngest crypto bill. Yeah, it's crazy. And I, I mean, I'm pretty bullish on Ethereum just because, A, it's the second largest cryptocurrency. And whenever I first found out about smart contracts and once I really processed like the power of smart contracts and the other things that um, you can do with Ethereum, which we'll talk about in a second, I think we should definitely hit dApps. But, yeah. um, you know... I'm very bullish because, you know, the more problems we solve with programming on top of the Ethereum network, I, I think it's just going to be adopted way more. And, you know, it's 3500 now. I remember it was definitely under, it was $300 a year ago. Yeah, I scooped up some of it back in 2017 at 300 a pop. Yeah, I think I did too. But I mean, I hear people like Mark Cuban really bullish and he he thinks it it's all about the imagination of how many people adopt it and the problems and the use cases that we can use with the Ethereum network. Yes. So it'll be really interesting so, to see where it goes. So Bitcoin was the first cryptocurrency, and that's why there's so much interest and value in it currently. Ethereum created an ecosystem, which Bitcoin did not. Ethereum lets you build what are called dApps, decentralized applications. By the nature of Solidity and the smart contract underpinnings of Ethereum, you can create applications that do things like programmatically lend money to people who want to borrow money. Or uh, an even simpler example, you could write a smart contract that sends Ethereum to a address in say 10 years um so let's say you wanted to create a crypto trust for your kid you could set it to 18 years from their birthday and then have those funds deposited 18 years from now. you just have to code it in the smart contract and then once it's out there it will be executed if all the conditions are met like in 18 years when your kid grows up yeah, and uh, you wouldn't explicitly state 18 years you would state it in terms of blocks uh, blocks over time, so blocks in the Ethereum blockchain are fairly consistent over time. If you look at, like, say, block 500 to block 501, the time could vary greatly between block 501 and, say, 502. But over the long term, if you're looking at hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of blocks, it's pretty consistent. It's pretty consistent time intervals. Um, and you can leverage that property to create, say, a time capsule of sorts, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so, so where are dApps really used and where's the kind of consumer facing applications? Where, where do they exist? Um, I, the top of the top of the mind is DeFi, which is decentral decentralized finance apps which i think mm -hmm. are really important due to the fact that now you no longer need to rely on a bank and say if you're in a country where your financial options are limited or you have to have 
a certain number to actually even use the institutions. Now, I mean, it's really anybody can use it. So I can see why DeFi is becoming really popular. You kind of spoke about yes. lending money. Yeah. And I can also talk about borrowing money. Um, let's say you have some Bitcoins you're sitting on. Like, let's say you have two Bitcoin and you don't want to sell your Bitcoin. One, it's taxable. And two, you lose your Bitcoin. Ew. That's a bummer. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> um, what you can do instead is you can lever leverage decentralized finance to borrow on your Bitcoin. So let's say you want to take out a $10,000 cash loan on compound.finance, which is one of the most popular DeFi platforms. Yep. You would go onto Compound. You don't have to make an account, which is brilliant. You don't make an account. You only connect your wallet. Once you connect your wallet, you deposit your funds. So let's say you deposit $30,000 worth of Bitcoin. Um, the numbers vary based on market conditions, but one of the key principles of borrowing money from decentralized finance is that you over collateralize the loan. So if you're taking out a cash loan of $10,000, you're usually going to over collateralize it by a factor of three to five times. So you're going to have to put up like, say, thirty dollars to $50,000 worth of Bitcoin. Why? Because crypto is volatile. If you watch the market on a day-to-day -day basis, it goes up and down by as much as 50, 60%. It's just, you know, it's very unstable because this is a new paradigm. It's a new technology and anyone globally can trade this. Once you put up your collateral, the decentralized finance platform will automatically send you the cryptocurrency you wish to borrow. And that cryptocurrency can be uh, it could be, say, Ethereum, or it could be what is called a stable coin, like uh, USDT, US, US dollar Tether. Yeah, I feel like uh, Tether is the one that people typically know, but we should probably cover that in a different episode. Yeah, we're not going to get into stable coins right now. What you do need to know about a stable coin is that one stable coin is equal to one US dollar or the currency it's pegged to. So it's very feasible to take your Bitcoin and programmatically receive a loan in the form of a stable coin that you can then go and convert to US dollars. And that is a really, really, really powerful financial instrument. Why? Because traditionally borrowing at 1% was reserved for higher net worth individuals. But since there is less and less asymmetry in the, in the uh, borrowing power of the individual versus large institution due to blockchain, you can get a very competitive interest rate on borrowing fiat currency from crypto. And compounds.finance is one of those sites, but there are many, many websites that exist for this same purpose. Um, it's a really... F I, need, I, I need to start using some of these services. And I'm going to declare it on this podcast right now. Uh, ask me in a month and I will have money in to one of these services and try one of these dApps and involve myself Absolutely. in the DeFi uh, Me personally, I have staked a uh, basic attention token into the compound finance protocol. Yeah. And cool. I made interest off of my basic attention tokens. However... Um, I found a platform that had higher interest rates and I moved it there. Um, that, that platform is Celsius, but Celsius is not 
a decentralized finance platform. Um, it's centralized finance with blockchain cryptocurrencies. It's a hybrid. It's a hybrid. <laughs> it's like a hybrid. But their strength comes from their transparency and their community engagement. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where it goes because I can only imagine these large financial institutions will try to make their own. I don't. I don't know. Could they make like hybrids That's... of their own? Or I work at an insurance pl- at a you know insurance group and. I'm curious how so, they would want to Michael, get involved. You probably have. There's probably that one guy who sits in on the senior meetings who is basically the asshole who says, uh, we need to change things now. The <laughs> world is very different than how it used to be. And that, you know, uh, <laughs> I feel as though large <laughs> corporations, you know, enterprise environments that especially operate in the financial or insurance industry they can adapt but they need strong leadership at the top that says we need to change now we need to swim or we're going to sink and i don't know how feasible it is that say jp morgan chase will create a decentralized finance project it could definitely happen with strong leadership and a big resolve from senior leadership to change the status quo but they have their core competency of consumer and business banking. Um, and and as yeah, long as that isn't being affected <laughs> and they're meeting all the metrics for that, they're not going to have strong initiative to build really innovative products. So I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but I'm more warm to the notion that small uh, small, you know, tech startups are going to really disrupt how we traditionally do banking. Yeah, eh, we'll we'll see. You yeah. know, no one knows. And Liam, I wanted before we wrap up, I want to talk about some of the we've we've talked a lot about all the benefits of Ethereum and the Ethereum network. I want to talk about some of the disadvantages and some of the reasons why people are skeptical i know in our first episode we said um, when you're doing you know when you're doing research Mm -hmm. you got to look at the good and the bad so let's so uh what's the top thing that comes to your mind when it comes to you know some of the negative aspects of ethereum right now is not a fixed supply of ethereum as it exists right now unlike bitcoin which is capped hard at 21 million coins ethereum doesn't have the same sort of cap um, there have been proposals to change how the Ethereum network functions so that Ethereum is quote unquote burned, AKA every block, some of the Ethereum that is, um, that is sent to the network is destroyed. And the reason why you would want to deflate Ethereum is largely to increase its value as well as to um not have a nebulous uncapped cryptocurrency i can see both arguments at the end of the day though ethereum doesn't have a very clear cap for how many can exist that's my chief that's my chief criticism of ethereum i think it should have a fixed uh supply however that is that's definitely in the pipeline they're working pretty hard on making those changes um I don't have the I don't know the exact Ethereum roadmap off the top of my head, but the 
EIP-1559 proposal uh, suggests that Ethereum should be burned, as well as as well as fairly allocating uh, mining fees. So one of the other big problems with Ethereum, which oh, I was gonna I was gonna say, Liam, I was gonna say, I'm surprised you use that as the first thing that comes to your mind is the supply. You know, the thing that comes to mind for me, one of the biggest disadvantages is the prices and the gas fees. So gas is the term that people typically throw around when they're talking about the fees it takes to actually execute a smart contract or yep. actually use the Ethereum yep. network. So when you send Ethereum to someone else, you pay gas. When you execute a smart contract, you pay gas. And the gas fees are pretty prohibitive right now. So let's say you have $200 in Ethereum and you want to lend it out to other people on a platform like Compound. You're going to pay so much in gas that it won't be worth it for you to for you to lend out your cryptocurrency. Like that's just pretty much a fact, right? And I, I think some of the reasons why I'm a little bit hesitant, or I was, I, I've declared that I'm going to get into um, some DeFi applications, but I think I was hesitant because I didn't, A, I don't want to lose money on anything that I invest or play around with. And, but I think I, I don't know, I, I just didn't know what yeah. to expect with the gas fees. And after hearing some of the experience that you've gone through, you know, I, I just didn't know, but I think. I need to just stop that mentality and just invest some money and so use it as here, a learning I'll, opportunity. I'll actually hit you with some hard numbers, Michael. Uh, just one second. So let me open up ye old MetaMask. For those who are unaware, MetaMask is a easy to use browser extension that lets you send and receive Ethereum and Ethereum tokens. It's awesome and it's pretty simple to use. So if... That sounded like a little advertisement. Right? <laughs> they should be sponsoring us. Um, so I'm looking <laughs> on my compound finance dashboard right now. I don't have any cryptocurrency staked. I don't have any cryptocurrency borrowed. I pulled it out. If I do look at the top right tab, I can see the compound, their, their token, aka compound finances token, that I earned while staking my basic attention token. So just to step back and pull away a pull away for a second what i just said basically means the following when i lent my cryptocurrency on compound finance i was awarded both the cryptocurrency i lent basic attention token as well as the cryptocurrency that governs compound finance which is called comp c-o-m-p so it's twofold you earn your crypto plus the governance token that the platform uses. Um, we'll get into DeFi heavily in another episode. Yes. Yeah, that kind of goes over my head. I need to do essence, more research before I, I put earned money in. compound governance token, about $64 worth of it. And I want to go ahead and claim that. So I hit claim my compound. When I click that to receive my $64.25 in compound, I have to pay $34 in gas fees. There goes more than half of my compound to gas fees. And the fees go up when the network grows and it's more congested, as in just more people are on it and 
yeah and the network ebbs and flows in terms of how much you'll pay for transaction fees based on activity around the world but in general gas fees are pretty prohibitive for retail investors even if you have yeah right now right now if you have like five ten grand to play around with gas fees are gonna be a pain point for you and it's really annoying honestly um i am very hopeful that the ethereum uh that the Ethereum group will figure out how to, you know, alleviate these pain points with, uh, the inth- with the Ethereum improvement proposal as well as the eventual migration to proof of stake. Um, but for now, we are dealing with high gas fees, and we're dealing with prohibitively expensive gas fees for the average person. Um, now. Uh, just to wrap things up, Michael. We've talked a lot know, about right? this ep- in this episode. Smart contracts, totally. gaps, so I wanted, really hitting the basics. I, I want to just go over the one most last thing points. because it's a hot topic right now. NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Uh, I know you've done some research into NFTs and you've potentially looked into purchasing one yourself. Wink, wink. I've tried. It's hard. It's re- it's really hyped up yeah, right now. There's yeah. a lot of people so, trying to buy them. I mean, for the for the audience, what is an NFT and why are people scrambling to get these things? Well, A, you know, people will collect anything and if they think they can make money off their collectibles, you know, they'll do what they can. But when I first heard non-fungible token, I had no idea what it meant, so I'm just going to quickly go over the term, but it's an economic term. I had to look that up, but it's an economic term that you could use to describe things like your furniture, a song file, a computer. Really, anything that's non-fungible is anything that cannot be interchangeable for another item, and it would be So it basically the means there's one of something? Okay. Yeah, okay. one of some. So, so if we both had a dollar bill and we, you know, exchanged it with each other, it would still be worth a dollar. You know, if I had a a stuffed animal that meant something all my life or had a signature or something, who knows, and you had your stuffed animal, they're not one for one. They really do have different, like, values in a, in a way. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have a stuffed so, animal. I wish um, I did. So in essence, NFTs, there's only one and only one person on the Ethereum network can own that NFT unique to their public address. Yeah. And they're powered by smart contracts on the Ethereum blockchain for anybody that didn't know. And I think, you know, they're really cool because you can now represent anything digital as a unique asset and you can actually verify that it's one of one depending yeah. on how you create it or if you turn the, it into a The big an crossover NFT. for me is with NBA Top Shot. Uh, you know, my sports friends have reached out to me in the past and brought up NFTs and the, uh, you know, the different collectibles that the NBA has issued. And that to me is wild. They made they made a fantastic decision doing that. Someone at the top definitely said, we need to change things now. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, and and honestly, when I first heard about NFTs, I didn't really understand it because you can, it's hard to wrap your head around it because you could technically just take that video and copy it to your computer. Or if it's a, you know, a JPEG image, you just copy it to like your notepad and then wouldn't that mean that I own it? You know, I can carry right. it around in my phone all the time. But... Ultimately, what it is, it's this kind of bragging rights for you to say, hey, you 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 know what NFTs are, right? Well, check out my NFT and <sighs> check out what I own unique to my public address. So it's not so much the underlying digital asset. It's literally the ownership or the representation of ownership of the digital asset. And it's stored in your wallet, like any yeah, of your other yeah. assets. Stay tuned for the Candid Crypto NFT coming soon. <laughs> oh, yeah, we might have to spend coming? the weekend uh, looking at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Who knows? You know, it's really exciting because obviously there's a there's been a lot of money around it. It's crazy because it's been giving, you know, a lot of power to these content creators and actually giving them a real way to make money and the most notable person which you know they're covering it on the news these days but people he literally makes these he makes an a piece of digital art every day and he ends up selling them as nfts but he sold one huge collection of like you know five thousand of his pieces what well, we might have to fact check that number but it he did it for like a few years and he's, he made a piece of art every day and he sold it for $69 yeah, million. Yeah. Dollars. The beauty of NFTs is that anyone, including you, our dear listeners listening right now, can create an issue, an NFT about whatever you want. And that's why blockchain and blockchain technology is so powerful. Anyone can participate. You just got to learn. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. That's why we, I mean, that's why we're making a podcast because we think we've certainly, learned enough that certainly. we can speak we've, to it. We've, we've definitely <laughs> been in the uh, ecosystem for a while. Um, so, you know, um, thank you very much for tuning in to Candid Crypto. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Stay, tu stay tuned for more content. Michael and I are doing a hackathon of a weekend to publish more content get more crypto goodies out there and we're planning to do a full launch of this podcast within a month. We want to get about eight episodes under our belt and then blast this thing off to the, uh, blast this thing off to the, uh, to the community and, you know, um, begin our public release. You're listening to the tentative beta right now. And we're refining and continuing to improve our conversations and material. So we thank you for tuning in. And if you are listening to this podcast and if there are topics that we're discussing that we went over too quickly or you just still don't understand because we're still getting used to this, um, just reach out to us. We have our website candidcryptopodcast.com that you can reach out to us as well as um, discord and we have all the different yep. social medias being set up so look us up reach out to us with any questions our we'll website get back to is candidcryptopodcast.com 
I am updating that website almost every single day. So please, you know, uh, but, <laughs> but please go to candidcryptopodcast.com. It means a lot. And we thank you so much for listening.